Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. This is a show that does just that, that shares stories of people who were in a hopeless situation and sometimes only had a thread to hold on to, but they held on to that thread of hope and they were able to turn their lives around and become successful in whatever arena they were attempting to be successful in and was still able to find hope in those situations to turn their lives around. And each story is unique. Each story is incredible. And I love each and every one of my guests, and you will too. I thank all my listeners. We are now in over 140 countries, covering this globe, all four corners. And I am so thankful that people tune in to listen to hope and not only for themselves but of course to be able to share these phenomenal stories with their neighbors with their friends and have them tune in as well you don't have to go through what my guests have gone through to appreciate that we all need hope of some form or another in our lives because we all have come to a place where we wonder what the next day is going to bring and in the world that we live in today it's so much more prevalent because there's so much going on that we don't know what the future holds so glad to have each of my guests who can talk about their losses, their problems, their anxieties, their stresses, their depressions, and how they turned around and turned their life into one of hopeful living instead of hopelessness. So I thank each one of them. And I thank you also, listeners, for the reviews that you leave, for how you share this show. It just thrills me to know that this message is getting out. With me today, I have an incredibly special guest who has survived so much and yet brings that message of hope. Her name is Kiana Hicks. Kiana is spelled Q-I-A-N-A, and I personally think it's a beautiful name. She is a mother, a career professional with a Bachelor's of Science in Information Technology and Computer Science. She also has a Master's in Business Administration. She is an award winner and also an author of Life in Its Rawest Form. Now, Most people would say that she was a victim of child abuse. 
from parents who were drug addicts. And she's going to share that part of her story with us today as well so that you can get an understanding of where she's coming from or where she came from. But Kiana sees herself as a victor. She chooses not to live in the state of victimhood. And she is one who has overcome and one who has pursued and realized her dreams. So you are going to be in for a real treat today. I'm always touched deeply when I hear of these stories, and I hear so many of them. They're stories of survival, and it's no different today. Kiana is going to touch your heart, and she also, and even more importantly, is going to encourage anyone who is going through what seems to be impossible. Welcome, Kiana. Thank you. So, Thank you for that introduction. Oh, you're most welcome. And, and I'm excited about the story that you're going to share. Now, please share with us as much as you would like about your childhood. Paint the picture, as your book says, in its rawest form, so that the audience can have an understanding of where you were. Okay. And first, I'd like to start out by giving an introduction to the title and what life in its rawest form means and why I chose it. So for me, life in its rawest form uh, means to live a life full of experiences that are in their barest, most explicit form, meaning nothing is sugar-coated or there to protect you from the brutal reality or its true ugliness. So that is my definition of raw life in its rawest form because I, myself and my siblings, lived through a number of circumstances that were um, a brutal reality of living with parents with drug and alcohol addiction and also living and growing up in impoverished communities. So how I grew up, I'll give you a little bit of background about myself um, I'm the middle child of um, three. I have a younger sister and an older brother. I was born in Gary, Indiana. Um, my mother my mother raised us primarily as a single parent. She did marry my father. However, when I was at the age of one, maybe one and a half, my biological father was in prison for several years. Um, shortly after my father went to prison, my mother met another um, companion, and that who I identify as my stepfather in my memoir. Growing up, my mother struggled with um, addiction. I believe it started when I, I believe it was influence, and it started when she was with my stepfather. Um, I think you know they started out drinking. That habit grew into another, and, and and eventually it led to her using and abusing drugs as well. So life as a child for myself and my siblings were sometimes pretty dark. Often there was abuse in our home when our parents you know, became intoxicated. It was very unstable. Um, my stepfather was in and out. They fought often. There was a lot of physical abuse. Um, unfortunately, we were exposed to it. Um, there were a lot of occasions where money needed to pay rent and bills and buy food were spent on drugs and alcohol and so forth. So my, my siblings and I went th- without 
a lot of the necessities, food, utilities like water, electricity, lights, heat, and so forth. Sometimes we had to go without because of the negligence, my mother and, and stepfather when he was in the picture, um, because of their negligence to support their habits. So that pretty much went on throughout our lives. Um, We suffered a lot of physical abuse from my mother. Um, She became violent when she would become intoxicated, and that led to um, abuse, abuse, anger, or frustration. I'm not sure what caused it taken out on myself and my older brother. We were limited with resources. We grew up in an environment where the way we lived was the norm. We weren't the only parent, uh, family, unfortunately, dealing with, dealing with these circumstances and living under these conditions. It was the norm. So we had very limited help and resources to improve our situation or even turn to for help. Um, so it was something that we had to endure pretty much most of our childhood. So that's a, that's, that's a little background kind of of what my life was like growing up as a disadvantaged youth. Thank you for sharing that. But I think what we need to do is go a little deeper so that the people can understand that this was a childhood that was, even though it was norm possibly in your neighborhood, it is not the normal childhood. Uh, I don't believe in reading uh, what you had shared and in your book that you knew what normal childhood was. Drug paraphernalia was around your house. Um, your mother uh, had a drug of choice, which I believe you said was crack cocaine. You know, this this is not just uh, alcohol abuse. This is getting pretty serious for a little child to see and endure. And so share with us what that was like, what emotions you went through as a little girl. And even though it might have been normal, how did you realize that this was not good? Um, It was very emotional um, because I cared for my mother a lot and it really affected me and hurt me to see her get high. Out of the three of us, I was the one that, and it seems like it, it appears that I am the one, I was the one that it affected most. My sister had me to care for her. So when my mother you know, failed at being an effective parent. My sister had me, I protected her. Um, So she had me to look up to for nurturing and as that mother figure. And my brother, he, he was our, he was our provider. He was our protector. um, And he didn't have anyone. My mother, when her choices, her, her behavior choices to, to get high or when she would get high, um, it was scary. It was scary because it put us in a lot of danger. Oftentimes, you know, our house was the house where other drug addicted people or who use crack cocaine congregated in our kitchen or in some room getting high. So it was scary at times to have a lot of these strangers in our home. We're so young. Um, we were pretty vulnerable. We didn't know what could go on. And I just it would pain me to see my mother in those under those conditions. Um, she was often void and, and distant when she became high. And we were pretty much left to raise ourselves, to look after ourselves. Um, I always dreamed of having that loving mother, that safe and nurturing environment. Um, I always longed for that. And I longed for the days when my mother would remain sober and clean and it was just peaceful and happy at home. Um, So it was very 
tough when we didn't have that peace and subtlety in our homes, um, in our home. Um, it affected me. I didn't realize it. Um, but you know, as I grew older and reflected on my past, which writing my book was very therapeutic and it allowed me to do that. My, those, those things that I was going through, the challenges that I was going through, um, at home affected my behavior. It affected my emotions. It made me very vulnerable. It made me very emotional and, and, temperamental. I was very upset. Um, it made it hard for me to focus at school. It made it hard uh. for me to to socialize with people. I was so reticent because I had so many emotions going on inside. You know, I dreaded going home. I dreaded having to live through this, you know, each day and each time. Um, and it was hurtful to be let down by my mother. I had tried to, I, I had made several attempts to plead with her and share with her how, you know, her choices to get high or to get intoxicated hurt us, how it scared us and how, you know, it took the mother that we needed away from us. Um, I, so I shared those emotions and for her to um, unfortunately not adhere to them, it was disappointing. And so sometimes it caused me to come isolated and, and, and nervous and, and just fearful, fearful for our lives, fearful for what could happen to my mother if she continued. Um, It didn't allow me to have a normal childhood at such an early age. I was looking after my sister and looking out after my brother as well. Um, I was focused on trying to get my mother to make better choices, opposed to being able to live a life of the life of a little girl and enjoy Barbies or enjoy dreaming about or reading stories about Cinderella and, you know, playing outside like a normal kid. You know, I was unfortunately robbed from that childhood because I had to um, deal with what was going on in my home. That's quite a a lot of stress to put on a little child. How did it affect your siblings? Um, for my sister, for the most part, she was young and, and I always took care of her. I loved her and my brother did too. Like she was basically our own. So I took very well care of her. We took very well care of her. Um, so she was, she was pretty much protected and sheltered from a lot of the consequences that we suffered from my mother's choices. My brother and I, he, my brother was affected. Um, he suffered from abuse. Um, he also suffered from, you know, not being able to eat and same as my sister from, so from the standpoint of when my mother would be out getting high or she'd take all of our resources and not buy food, um, we all suffered. We didn't Uh. have meals. Sometimes we didn't have consistent meals, you know, when we didn't have water and so forth. We all suffered from that aspect, uh, but we did our best to protect our sister and try to keep her from seeing and understand what was going on. We tried to keep her, we tried to allow her the life of a child, you know, allow her the luxuries of being a baby or being a child um, to just shield her and shelter her from the brutal reality of the choices our parents were making. Was there any point that you rebelled Yes. Um, there was a time, you know, I was, I was going through a really bad crisis. I, um, at school, it was around, I would think I was in middle school. I had to be in 
starting from fifth grade through, oh yeah, a couple years. My fifth and sixth grade year were very challenging for me. I was very angry, and that came out in the way that I interacted with others at school. Um, and then later years, as I grew into you know, a um, teenager, adolescent, through my adolescent years and teenagers, I became very resentful. Um, I resented my mother a lot. Um, I, I resented, I resented her when she um, would get high, continue to get high. And here I am, a teenager, and these behaviors and patterns um, were still going on. And so, I would be very defensive when she would, you know, come to us for money, or when she would, you know, take food from our freezer. You know, I became very you know, I stood up to her as much as I could, you know, to let her know how I felt and so forth. So I would say um, those times caused me to be, be rebellious as when I was in school and dealing with these challenges and unfortunately taking my frustration out on others. And then sometimes I would talk back to my mother when, you know, um, she wanted to get high or, or you know, I would talk to her in a way that I wouldn't talk to her if I, if she wasn't high. Now, you had mentioned that this was norm in in your community. Was it in the in the community because of the neighborhood that you lived in, or was it because of the people that your parents hung out with? It was both, actually. Um, so the, you know, we grew up in Gary, Indiana, and then we transitioned to Minnesota later, but we always lived in areas where, um, they were kind of considered low income housing, right? For parents who didn't have a job that afforded them a certain salary to afford, you know, better, uh, living conditions. So we're amongst that community. Um, and with that, a lot of, you know, people living in that community who didn't have careers or weren't pursuing education, they often either became alcoholics, drug addicts, you know, prostitutes or, you know, young parents of multiple kids and so forth. Um, so that was the, so the way we were living, there were a lot of kids my age, older, younger, living in households similar to mine where their parents battled or struggled with addiction. They also suffered abuse. They also were very poor, didn't have, you know, three meals a day and so forth, clean clothes and, or even, you know, resources as utilities and so forth. And a lot of those people in my community were some of the parents that my parents um, befriended and they would be some of the people that would come and get high and so forth. So it was a combination of both. It was, did social services uh, or children's services ever step in? Eventually. Eventually, um, things became worse um, and uh, it led to us being removed from home, from our home, yes. And how did you deal with that? How did that make you feel? Well, that transition was very tough. It was very scary and um, life as I knew it was completely turned upside down. Um, I was taken away from my sister. I was taken away from my brother. I was taken away from my mother. And that hurt so much. Uh, I didn't know, I didn't know what tomorrow would be like. I didn't know what was going to become of us or what happened. Um, it was very, it was a very tough transition. So in the middle of this, 
how did you find any hope? You know, I just kept believing. I kept believing one day that this soon would be over and I would be in a position where I can make a difference and where I can make a better life for my siblings and myself. Um, and so that gate, that was the only slither of hope that I had. I, I had no guarantee that it would happen, but I, I, I refused to, to um, let go of that hope. And I knew that I had to stay the course, go through the process in order to, for that hope or for that dream to even occur. So I had to make the best out of the crisis that we were going through. I had to try my best to suppress, you know, the emotions or cope with it positively to not make the situation worse. So now that leads to my next question, which is, what does never give up hope really mean? For me, my definition of never giving up, give, never giving up hope means to keep trying, um, regardless of how difficult and how, how difficult and how emotional um, things may become, because they will, especially in and in conditions and situations as mine, um, just always believe that it will get better. Always, I kept believing that um, I will be able to make a difference one day. And as long as I knew that, that, that helped me make the right choices, better choices to bring myself closer to being able to make that happen. So I didn't give up hope by letting my, by succumbing to my circumstances. I didn't give up hope by succumbing to all the things that were going on around me. So many people give up and then they repeat the, the, yes. the cycle. They yes. repeat the sins of our past. And I knew that I had to break the cycle. It started with me. Um, and I knew I could not conform to things around me. I knew I had to continue to think that life is better. This isn't the norm. This isn't going to be my norm. And this isn't going to uh, be my end result. And so as long as I thought about that, as long as I knew that, and as long as I believed, um, to me, that was my definition of never giving up hope. Well, Kiana, I think your middle name is Tenacious. <laughs> yeah, you de one would definitely have to be tenacious <laughs> on this journey. <laughs> I appreciate the compliment. So you, need, you need to change your name. <laughs> that would bring a lot of questions, wouldn't it? Exactly. It would, it would promote your book in a new way. <laughs> it would definitely bring a lot more <laughs> publicity. Exactly. Now, I really appreciated your attitude when you said that you persevered through the abuse and through the tragedy by using that, by using the scars, by using the experiences of what you went through as a launching pad of opportunities for the future and what you had dreamed of. So expound a little bit about that and what you are have done to do just that. Um, so, you know, I look at it this way. What The things that I went through, the um, experiences that I experienced um, were just opportunities for me to see what life would be like when I would if I made 
certain choices, if I went down a certain path. So those were real life experiences that I feel were opportunities for me to do the opposite, to do better so that I didn't end up with those results. I didn't end up hurting my family or hurting myself even more or continue to harbor the pain that came from my past. Um, So with those experiences, I use those as, you know, the bread and the put or the the proof in the pudding that that's what will end up or that's what would become of me if I did not further my education, if I did not, um, if I chose to fall down the path of getting into drugs or, or, or choosing to surround myself with people of that nature, um, I knew that would be the outcome. So I used those experiences as lessons um, of, of things not to do, things to stay away from, um, things to be aware of. Um, it reminded me constantly, those things reminded me constantly of, you know, how my son will end up if I chose that path. So um, to me, that was fuel. That was fuel for my motivation to do better, to strive for better, to make healthier choices, to be conscious of the people I surrounded myself with um, um, and some of the things that I participated in. Um, I I had those constant reminders um, in my mind um, what track and what path I needed to stay on to avoid those things. And so that carried me through building a brighter future, setting goals and achieving them one step at a time, not repeating certain patterns and behaviors. And providing a better life for myself and my siblings and my son. Now, your book, Life in Its Rawest Form, that is a memoir. What is the, besides your story, what is the message that you have in your book? I think the main message, and one doesn't have to have a similar background as, you know, mine. Um, It could just be anyone that felt hopeless or anyone that did not have a lot of opportunities or resources to help them. You can still persevere. It really is up to you. If you put your mind to it and if you believe that you can, anything is possible. And that's the most important message I wanted to convey to my readers is I started with nothing minus my background. As I became an adult and I became responsible for myself and responsible and accountable for the choices I made, I knew that the only way to build a brighter future or to have a better life for myself or to be a positive influence for others or to be a contributing member to society, I had to... um, I had to make myself better. I had to do the things and walk the walk that afforded me those opportunities so that I could help others, so that I could show others it can be done. It's not easy. There will be obstacles, but the key is is resilience and getting back on track, getting through those obstacles, becoming stronger from those things, learning from those from mistakes and poor choices and so forth. Um, So that's the key message is that if you believe you can do it, don't give up, don't quit. Um, There is light at the end of the tunnel. One of the things that I am hearing very loud and very clear, which you may not even be aware of, 
as you are sharing your story is what is lacking is bitterness and unforgiveness. And I think that is a, an extremely important factor in moving forward is that you do not strike me as someone who has held bitterness or unforgiveness towards your parents or anything else or life in general. And I applaud you for that. And there Thank are many, you. many people who have horrific, you know, childhoods or horrific experiences that they have endured in their life. And even if they, they, overcame them there still is that element of bitterness there and I do not sense that from you at all and so to me that tells me that your book is probably one that more people will even relate to because you don't have that poor me attitude or you know I'm going to get them you know, get, get mm-hmm. back at them for what, mm-hmm. what they did to me, but rather using it, like I mentioned before, as a launching pad to something better. And so you pat yourself on the back and this is going to really help you. I know your book is relatively new and it's going to really help you, I'm sure, with people who will relate better because it's attitude and attitude. <laughs> Kiana Tenacious Hicks. <laughs> I'm going to dream about that now. Man. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have a phenomenal attitude, and I hope that that is coming across to the audience as well as it has to me. Now, with your book, I understand there's also a workbook. So explain that to me, please. Sure. Yeah. So I also wrote a companion workbook to my memoir. Um, and I, so, and I go into more detail about some of the situations that I endured or was, was put in some of the positions or situations I was put in throughout my life and how I got through them, how I overcame them successfully. Um, the workbook is equipped with very great, helpful information uh, for people that are going through transition, family crisis, or, you know, who may be struggling with, with handling emotions um, constructively, um, to people who became adolescent parents and teen parents, um, to how to set goals for yourself and how to achieve them and conquer them, um, selecting positive role models and the role models that you want to steer clear from. Those are all the things that helped me become the person that I was today. And what I did was I wrote a book on how to achieve some of those things, how to get through certain situations, how to make healthier and better choices based on my experiences that have worked for me and the ones that didn't work for me. I used some of my failures as an opportunity for others to learn from in the workbook. Um, It also provides them an opportunity to get help. It actually gives them the opportunity to use their voice, to talk about things that they can't share with others, to talk about things that could potentially help them and get help for their loved ones. So it is a great guide for anyone who wants to build a brighter future, who anyone who doesn't ever want to give up hope or ever give up trying, um, this book can help them. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's a, th- it's a tool. It's a book that they could use and reference throughout their entire journey 
What a great idea to have a workbook like that with your memoir because um, even though, like you mentioned, you don't use it together, you will just basically can use the workbook on its own and, and forever as to help in whatever area that you may be struggling in. And so mm-hmm. that that that's wonderful. Thank you. Now, what about your website and what do you offer there? So my website, um, there's a lot of good information about me and my background, um, a lot of information about the book. Um, I talk about my career in STEM. Um, I have a background in engineering. Um, so it, ta- it, go- it goes into a lot of information about how to make better choices. Um, it gives you a sneak peek about my book um, if you're interested. And it also um, it also contains different events and opportunities where I had a chance to speak with uh, other people, other youth, families, um, and so forth. Um, So it's a lot of good information out there about my background, my cause, my mission, and my books. Do you do any online like coaching or help or answer questions people may have or or possibly encouragements or is there any kind of a one-on-one that you have with people as well? I haven't set up anything like that as of yet. That is a future goal of mine uh, once I get, you know, once I, I, I get things underway and rolling more. There are a lot of things right now that I'm starting up that I'm trying to um, start up to help people, whether it's young adults, youth, parents, and anyone um, who just wants to make better choices, who wants help and encouragement to overcome past challenges, or um, who just need a, a light of hope to, you know, get through certain situations, I'd like to be able to connect with them because that is one of the things that I'm preparing myself to do is to be an advocate or a mentor for others. So in the future, through my website as well, I will have something like that where I can interact with my audience. Oh, um, that that type of that's perfect because as we continue to uh, talk about your book and with you know the next year or so, um, we can update that. Exactly, and, and definitely. So, yes, that yep. I appreciate that because you're a winner, and people like winners. People like to hang out with winners, mm-hmm. and but you weren't always a winner because there was a time in your life when you were a loser. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, in mm-hmm. the way the world looked at you, right? And mm-hmm. and very often, you know, we, we do judge people and we say, oh, you know, that side of the tracks or whatever, they're just a bunch of losers. But look what can come from that. Exactly. Because of attitude, because of tenacity, because of perseverance, because of love, because of forgiveness, Mm-hmm. All good qualities which you have and which you will go far, I am sure, in helping people who struggle in these areas. So, Kiana, I thank you. I thank you for sharing. I thank you for exposing us to your book, your website, your workbook. I, I'm looking forward to um, having my audience connect with you and I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking this time today to share that story, which no matter how much you have gained success now, there's always hurt and pain from the past, and you have learned how to deal with that, and that's the message that comes across, and that's the message that I'm trusting our audience hears today. So thank you. 
Thank you so much for having me, Carol. I really enjoyed talking with you. And if your audience ever wanted to get in touch with me or learn more about me, they can always reach me, like you said, at my website, which is www.kianahicks, and that's Q. I-A-N-A-H-I-C-K-S dot com. I'm also on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as well. Uh, And if they were ever interested in reading more about my books, they can find them online at Barnes & Noble and Amazon and other retail distributors like iTunes and Kobo and so forth. Very good. Thank you again. Thank you, Carol. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.